Eric, you can go ahead and start. What What's your favorite quote, your favorite inspirational quote? My favorite inspirational quote is, it's real simple, three words, trust the process. Mm. And that's because that's the only way that I can remain sane in this crazy world of entrepreneurship is by trusting the process. I believe that. I think you can agree with that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's like, you know, from, from day to day, it can be calm one day, the next day it can be, you know, a storm, the next day it can be a desert with no rain. But when you trust the process and you know what your intention is, you just you just know it. And things happen and they, they happen in your favor once once you um, trust the process. My man, Kent, give me give me one to start it off. Uh well mine is it's a West African proverb. He got to be all culture. Right. Mine is slow. It's a West African. Pro- no, go ahead. <laughs> but it, it's always stuck with me from the first time I heard it. And it's, uh, I'm abbreviated, but uh, he who wants to be king must first learn to serve. Okay. So uh, I always try to abide by that, that. You know, I always try to put out whatever I can into the world before I start expecting things in return. Mm. So, yeah, I, I live by it so much I got a tattoo. family it is season two of soul society 101 the podcast i am your host rondell aka king ronda don hopefully you're all caught up on season one um i have two brothers here down in the atl all right now if you haven't figured it out by now the special guest today my boys kent and eric from black and abroad clap it up for them one time what's up fellas Yo, what's good? What's good? We out here, man. Down the ATL. I'm, I'm out here man. like once a year, man. This is the home of Black and Abroad. It's the home of Black and Abroad. It's, man. it's, it's here. Um, we're never here, but... <laughs> <laughs> right, but the home is here. <laughs> the home is here. Harley home, but always repping. <laughs> right. Um, so, if you haven't heard of Black and Abroad, I don't know where, where you've been, but uh, these guys are out here killing it, uh, creating a, a movement in the black travel space. Their t-shirts and hats are all over, all over the gram, all over every day party that you had. I know you've seen it before. <laughs> um, recently announced as in the list of Route 100's top 100 influential African-Americans. I mean, damn. Man. Uh-huh. This, how many black people are there in America? And y'all just going to be top 100? Like, y'all just going to stunt on everybody? Like, come on. Yeah, when, we, when I seen that, <laughs> yo, I'm like... It completely caught, I think, both of us off guard, like we were saying earlier. Um, the way we discovered it, because we didn't even know mm-hmm. that the list was up. We didn't know when they put it up. We didn't get an email saying, you guys are going to be uh, on, the, on the list. So, you know, Ken hit me up and was like, yo, you on the list. Like, out of the blue. I got a call from him. He's like, you on the list. I'm like, can't be. So then I'm, I pull up the list, and as I'm scrolling down to myself, I'm passing him. Right. And I'm like, yo, you on there too? <laughs> yeah, so. I, I didn't even know I was on the list. I saw his name first, and I'm hyped for him. I'm like, right. yo, you right. on the list. 
yeah. didn't even think to keep looking uh, to see me. I'm, like, I'm hyped for my boy. Like, right. you know, those are big things. You make it, we make it. Right. right. So and he was like, nah, you on the list too. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, that was a dope moment. That is, that is fire, man. I mean, just looking at that list and some of the names they had on there, how does that feel to be listed um, just amongst great people who are doing great things? I mean, and obviously you guys are, but... As humble as you guys are, I'm sure you're not thinking, oh, I deserve to be on the list. It's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's sort of aspirational. But then to actually see that happen, I'm sure you were like, yeah, I think okay. I think I think seeing my my name, I, this this I can speak for myself. I think seeing my name in between the likes of Solange and Donald Glover right. and. You know, Tennessee Coates. Right. And, you know, like, people like that. I'm like, oh, I'm Issa Ray. Right. You know, this is like a real moment. From, and I'm, that I'm just coming down from. Right. And that happened on, what, Monday? Yeah, I, Monday I, I still ain't came down from it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're yeah, through I, the I, streets. I'm, I'm still in a good space. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, like, pinching myself because I, I can't believe that I'm even, you know, consider. I know what we're doing is a good thing, but yeah, it's like to come so quick. You know you've made an impact. You don't know what impact mm-hmm. you've made. Like, I remember coming into, like, the end of 2016. I was like, you know what? I did something good this year. Like, I made an impact in my community. I made black people happy. Right. I made black people think. You know, I made black people step out of their comfort zones. I made an impact. Right. You yeah. know? Um, and even if it was like five black people, if it right. was, you know, <laughs> right, if it was five or 500, right. if it was five people in my messages who I convinced to do something, that's the impact I made. I'm cool with that. But to, to know that someone feels that the impact that we've made with black and abroad is worthy to be inclusive of, you know, like you said, Jordan Peele, Solange, right. people who I'm looking up to and I'm like, I'm so glad that they did these things. Right. People yeah. who have definitely like rocked our culture yeah, in right. 2017 you know yeah. what i'm saying like there's not one black person i know that doesn't love insecure or who Man. doesn't recognize what salons did with the album this year so right. yeah i mean to be to be among those people as recognizes making that kind of impact in 2017 is a beautiful thing yeah it is for sure so how would you um well first before we get into that where are each of you guys from so i know you're in atlanta now yeah so i'm from the dmv which is like dc maryland virginia mm-hmm. so i lived in each state at okay. some point, well, each part at some point. DC, um, growing up as a kid, and then moved to Maryland at like ten, and then went to schools there, and then as I when I got older, moved to Virginia for a little bit because I worked out there. Okay. So and then at twenty in my early twenties, I moved to Atlanta. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Cool, cool. And what about you, Kent? So I was born and partially raised in Baltimore. I lived in Germany. For a year as a kid, so I, I can tell what's gonna happen in this interview already. He gonna hit me. He gonna hit me with the West African quote. And oh, I you know, I lived in Germany for a little bit. <laughs> no, living your truth, but go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, yeah, so born in Baltimore, uh, lived in Germany for a for a year. Lived in Berlin. When I got back from there, my mom was like, "Go to California and visit your aunt." Uh, so I went there for a summer, and when I came back, she's like, I hope you like it, because we're moving. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so moved to San Diego and finished out high school there, and then came back to Baltimore for undergrad. Okay. Uh, and then moved down to Atlanta, ooh, 11 years ago. Okay. So yeah, been down here since So then. both of you guys have been down here for a little minute now. Yep. So what, what was your thought on, 
what Atlanta, um, like, what do you think it would be, and did it kind of live up to those thoughts, or is it something different from what you thought it would be? I can say, this is me speaking, Eric speaking, um, I remember reading an article, I think, I can't remember if it was Ebony or if it was Essence, but they talked about how Atlanta was like the black mecca for mm-hmm. businesses and any kind of opportunities that you wanted. And, I, and growing up in D.C., it was kind of like, in my opinion, it seemed a lot more segregated than it was when I got to Atlanta. Gotcha. For some reason. It's not, it's Chocolate City, it mm-hmm. always been, but it's, it was, everything was relegated to a certain part of, you know, the uh, Chesapeake. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was like, uh, I'm sorry, Potomac. It's, it's just, it was just a weird situation um, when I got here, because it was like, you've seen all these successful black people making lots of money, living good. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I had initially came down f- for college and then w- went back home. And then when I came back, I was like, I'm going to get a piece of that pie down there. Gotcha. And that's what I, that's what I came back to do. Okay. So it definitely lived up to his expectations. That's what's and up. it's only getting better, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. So young, young black people trying to make it out here. Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta might be somewhere you should consider. Right. I really, I, I would definitely advocate for Atlanta. You trying to okay. jump out there and make it. Yeah, I appreciate it now. Uh, more so than I did when I first moved down here. Uh, well, before I moved down here, my idea of Atlanta was Freaknik. So <laughs> before I went to undergrad, I remember MTV did a special on Freaknik <laughs> down here. And I was like, yo, I'm going. Wait till freshman year. We ride down Not there. We we going there. And then, of course, that was the last year Freaknik happened. Um, so you were that, like, wah, wah. Right. <laughs> that was my idea of Atlanta. And then the first time I visited, before I was even thinking about coming down here, I didn't know if I liked it because it reminded me too much of L.A. Mm. Um, and I'm not a In what ways? It Well, my first experience was like Peachtree, Buckhead. Oh, okay. So riding down Peachtree on that side of town, it's like, you know, it felt, it was a nice day outside. It just reminded me so much of L.A. Uh, and I'm not the biggest L.A. fan. I can appreciate it now yeah. as a visitor. But, mm-hmm. like, being on the West Coast, I was always trying to get back to the East Coast. Gotcha. Um, so I wasn't sure about it, but I knew I was ready to get out of Baltimore. Gotcha. And when I was looking at cities, Atlanta was like, okay, you know, this is a spot where black people, especially black people my age, are making it happen for themselves. So why would I want to be anywhere else where I could see other people in my space doing well? Um, so I got down here and was wilding out, was going out every night and getting it in. Atlanta offers you that option. Yeah, like right. I lost my mind uh, the first six months. And I actually left um, within the first year because I didn't have a network down here. The only person I knew at the time was my roommate. Um, when I moved down here. So it's different moving from a spot where you're established and people know your name and what yeah. you're capable of yep. to come down and not know anybody. Um, so I left and went back up to DC because I know I could get a job really right. quickly. Right. Um, while I was up there doing that contract work, I was like, you know what, maybe I do kind of miss Atlanta. Uh, and then came back with a different perspective on it and, and, went, and went to law school and did all that other stuff. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's no, so it's, it so it's no freak Nick, but right, it was no freak Nick. <laughs> but I, you found you found some other stuff to love about. Right, I made my own personal freak Nick when I first got and then came back with a, a grown man mindset and settled down. That's so. what's up. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I love I love my city now. I love Atlanta. That's what's up. So thinking back as far as y'all came, what were some of the first ideas you had of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Because I know. 
I, I can't speak for y'all, but I know for myself growing up, the idea of starting something in a black travel space would have been like 10 question marks. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. what is that exactly? So what, yeah. what did, what were your, where were your minds in terms of what you planned to do um, when you were in school? For me, I can just remember, like, real estate has always been my thing in some capacity of it. Like, whether it be the Asian side, whether it be broker side, investment side. So I kind of, like, just moved around in that industry because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. And then mm -hmm. I like the whole investment model. Like, you get you a, a investment property, rent it out to somebody, collect the rent, not have to do much work. That was always my thing. I mean, I, I used to go into the grocery store, and you know those um, Better Homes and Gardens books that they mm -hmm. have? I used to always take those and, like, flip through them as a kid um, and cut, them up, cut out the houses that I liked. So that was... That's always been my thing, but it it kind of took a backseat to the black travel thing because that's what we're doing now. Right. Um, but yeah, like it's like you said, it's I, I would have been like if somebody came and told me that this is what I would be doing. That's why I say trust the process because you never know where you're gonna end up. Right. You know, and black travel was the furthest thing from anything that we thought about at that time. Right. 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 So yeah. I think I knew very early that I was supposed to be in a space where I was advising other people. Mm. Um, so all of my... <laughs> Yo, you are so funny because mm. you, you be speaking so calmly, you be like slightly <laughs> stunting on people. Like, I, knew, I knew I was in a position, um, I knew I needed to be in a position of authority. I wasn't right. sure what right. exactly, but I knew I had to call shots. Right. <laughs> Look, they needed to be called. They needed and to be called, called Somebody got to call them call shots. Them. Right, somebody. <laughs> no, See, y'all killing me, right? No, 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 go ahead, uh, go ahead. no, it was like, I've always been that source of information for somebody. So if you look back at like all of the jobs I've had, I've been a teacher, uh, I taught middle school English. Um, when I moved down here, I was working for a company and I was the trainer mm -hmm. there, training folks, uh, became an attorney, so I'm advising people there. Right. Like it's just always been my space of comfort to be in a, an advisory space. Even when I was in undergrad, um, someone told me I missed my calling to become a preacher because people just always believe what I said. And as long as you're using that in a positive right, manner, right, right. Yeah. you're not getting over on anybody. Right. Um, so was travel ever a part of that? No. But I think the space that I found in travel for my community mm -hmm. is that of a, a space of advisement uh, or um, you know, a space of question, like a space where you can ask those questions and get that kind of support. Right. Um, so that's the one like common line between all this stuff. But if you had asked me like when I was a kid, what I wanted to be, I, this was not uh, in that lineup at all. I think if I remember correctly, like stockbroker was my, it was so random, like stockbroker <laughs> yeah. and PE teacher. I wanted to be a combination okay. of both. I could see a kid want to be a PE teacher, but stockbroker, I haven't yeah, heard a kid really say random. like, how, how do you know how you got to that though, or did you just did you just think like okay, well money's in the picture, you know, so. right? I think that's what and it TV was. in the eighties was wild. Like you got yeah. to see like a lot of that stuff. So it was like, oh, you know, I want to be a stockbroker. Right, like, right, right. They, they look like they doing something. Right, they fly. They got <laughs> money. I can remember watching Boomerang. Like I want, I want whatever job Marcus Graham has, yeah. mm. and that's like how we used to associate what we wanted to be with. Yeah, what? Yeah, that's real. Yeah, that's real. Where Where did you guys go to college? So. Y'all were both in the DMV area for college? I was in the DMV area. I went to Morgan State. Shout okay. out to the Bears. Okay. Yeah, I went to CAU. 
Okay. University. Well, speaking of which, if anybody on Morgan's campus is listening to me, why y'all ain't put me in the alumni magazine yet? Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to make it happen. Wow. They trying you. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to make it happen. They trying it. Oh man! So you guys ended up thinking of the idea of black and abroad way, way, way down the line. How did that even come to be? Like, where did that start? It was random. So one, it was what one sun was Saturday night. I stayed up doing some work that night in 2015, and I stayed stayed up Sunday morning and just was like up for whatever reason. I don't know why. And I said, you know what, let me just cut the TV on. And the Shark Tank just so happened to be on. It was like at 6 or 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was either on or I might have, like, pulled it up on Netflix or something like that. And um, just watching, I was just watching it and saw this guy on there who he had created some brand around home, the idea of home and where home was. His T-shirts, mugs, hats, little stuff like, you know, little retail merchandise that he, he started. And I was thinking, like, it's something in this that we can, some some type of way that we can align and make money kind of with not the same format, but just using the same kind of uh, ingredients that he did. So I hit up Kent and um, Kent, you know, was up that morning. He watched the show as well. He pulled it up. Yeah, it was like like a DVR episode. Yeah, it was a DVR. Um, yeah, it was Hulu. Oh, I said he was like, "Yo, did you see that episode?" And I was like, "No, nah, let me let me watch it." So yeah, I saw the the guy, the home guy, and it was just like, you know, this man had tapped into something that resonates with a whole lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to rep where they from. You know, right. you want to rep BK, you want to rep DC, you want to rep Houston. Like right. that's just innate and in people anyway. They want to be a part of a bigger group of things. So it was like, how do we take that same sentiment, that same idea of, you know, this inclusive kind of grouping and apply that to for, for our people, you know? Right. And then it's something that we like, both can genuinely relate to uh, because we were both avid travelers, you know, before the start of this. So right. it was kind of like we, we started bouncing ideas back and forth mm-hmm. and literally just came up with the most simple thing. <laughs> Yeah. That we could come up with, which was black and abroad. Right. Yeah. I'm all about like how can we put stuff in its simplest terms. Right. Because when you start adding all this stuff to it, it gets yeah. super complicated. Or, or trying to disguise it to include everybody. Right. It's like no, we have one target demographic that we, you know, are trying to are trying to speak to, and we just hit it. Yeah, because we we definitely could have done something that was travel based and had to be for everybody, but we did like that was never a part of the initial conversation. It was very much like how black can we make this, <laughs> and yeah. how can we represent our community and make our people feel happy about right. you know traveling and and bringing this in you know this very inclusive moment where we're all in these places when we travel. What's right, that right. connecting line that could bring us all together? Um, and yeah, that's what it was. And it was funny. We were already planning to go to Dubai because we had gotten tickets from that glitch. Yeah. So. What was that 20? That was 2014? 14. 14. Yeah. 20, yeah. Christmas where everybody and their mama was like, well, guess I'm going to be in the Middle East. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. Man, yeah. it was like a big family reunion when we got there. Yeah, that was really, that changed the guard for black travel, period. Absolutely. Like, that really. It sparked so many different things um, that Christmas 2014. Right. Um, But yeah, it was Eric, because he worked in real estate, was one of the few people 
people I knew who had a flexible schedule, and I was working um, for the school district at the time down here, and I had spring breaks off. So I was like, yo, you trying to go to Dubai? The tickets are $200, let's roll. Um, so we were already planning on going to Dubai anyway. Yeah. We had that conversation that kind of kicked off Black and Abroad maybe about a month or so before that trip. So it was like, let's loop, let's use ourselves to, you know, kick, kick it start. off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we got some shirts made. I still have the original Black, Black and Abroad shirt. Too. And we, we have versions of the shirt that... Uh, that two people have like there's two other yeah. versions of the shirt that are floating out there that we uh, scrapped those. Yeah. Was the logo the same or the quality of the shirt? It, the logo was the just, logo was different. It was okay. a little yeah. bit different. So those are vintage pieces. Those are collectors' items okay. right there. <laughs> um, and the process was different too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we we do we have a different process now, but we used vinyl before. Mm -hmm. We literally would go to this spot in Little Five Points yeah, and get and them, them joints made. And the, sh the shirts, like the end result would be like, what, $35, $37 to just to, it was like $20-something for the shirt and then another ridiculous amount of money to stamp, to yeah. stamp it. So we weren't making, we, we wasn't making money like in the beginning. Piecemeal, like one or two at a time. So yeah, yeah, in the beginning, we believed in it so much that we were losing money like the yeah. first couple of weeks into it. Um, and the losses were like exposure. Yeah. So when people would order in the beginning, we'd literally go to this place and get the shirt, they were, what, twenty six ninety nine, twenty six ninety nine. at that point, we were even selling for less than that. It was like, we were selling for $25. Okay, $25 even. Somebody would order a shirt, and then we'd go, because they, they weren't coming in as frequently uh, in the beginning, but we'd go and get, you know, one made for 32, 32 bucks and just eat that, you know, Man. eat that $8, I mean, that $7. Like, we saw, all right, this yeah. is going to be bigger than, we thought it was going to be big, but not, like, to the level, not uh, root one hundreds, not the most influential <laughs> bit. Uh, it it sounds unreal coming out your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, like we we knew we had a vision for it, mm -hmm. um, but we just we really didn't have the vision for it. Like it, it's only so far you can see ahead and feel like okay, that's reasonable. You know, I can right. expect that yeah, yeah, a certain yeah. amount of time, but right. uh, you know, it still looked back. I'm like, bro. It was just an idea once upon a time. Yeah. And it says something about y'all that you believed in it so much that you were willing to eat the cost. Um, not eat the cost, but like take a loss on every shirt sold yeah. just because you believed in it so much. Yeah, and when we tell people, like, it was really when people are afraid to like kick off their business. Like, we started the business by $200. Right. Um, with like the $100 to go pay to get the LLC. We got our shirts made. Yeah. Um, and then like the first couple of shirts we got made and then that was when that was really like our first little uh, input into you know starting a business and yeah. after that it was just like okay you know a couple dollars here a couple dollars there until we had that turning point we were like okay we can't just get one or two at a time yeah we got to order like 50 or 60 right, right. and we can't okay now we your mind goes back to those economics classes of supply exactly. and demand. <laughs> right. Yo. I remember something about a chart. Right. Right. <laughs> and then we had to go through vendors to find the right one, you know, because all of them. They're different. Yeah, they different. Somebody got an ill fitting shirt. Somebody's, right. you know, uh, was it heat press or whatever it's called? Their, their silk screen. Thing. Yeah, silk yeah. screen. It ain't yeah. lasting. Somebody's complaining that right. it's chipping. Yeah, and that, all, and we all had of that, that struggle. We had all of that, but we ended up like. Within this short amount of time, getting, I mean, and then it's a lot of, you know, faith and just like the trust in the process, like believing that 
we're going to find an end result to this situation that we're trying to put together. And it always, it always ends up like us, things happening at the perfect time. Right. Like they just always do for some reason. Right. It can be the, the perspective that I'm looking at it from or the perspective that Kent is looking at it from, but things always just come together. Um, we actually had, we, we, we had a good relationship with uh, a guy who was doing our shirts for like what, a year and a half, past year and a half. Dude was on it. Like we tell him we need something on Monday. He'll have that. He'll have it on Tuesday. Right. You know he'll have it the next day, the day after, whenever. And he actually two months ago told us that he was leaving to go to L.A. Mm. So then we had so much um, demand for our product that we were able to go ahead and take our product and send it to a fulfillment center. And we found a fulfillment center that's just as prompt as he is. So it's like everything kind of just works, man. Like just trusting it and putting good energy out there. And I don't know, it's, I'm probably going off. No, nah, I mean, I it's, it's anybody who's trying to start a business needs to hear these gems because yeah. y'all hitting on a lot of key points in, in terms of, you know, growth and, you know, it being levels to a business and yeah. investing in yourself even when people might think you're crazy or you might be even questioning yourself at times. Like, yeah. I guess this is the right thing, but, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other and making it happen. Right. Um, what's What are some of the... I don't want to say pitfalls, but what are some of the things that are like, damn, this is a, a thing I don't like about the business? Because obviously, running your own business, you have flexible schedules. Right. But selling something like merchandise, I'm sure people want like the homie discount or want to, you know, can you meet me over here real quick so I can right. get this shirt from you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are some things that are better now. And I mean, clearly now that we have a filming center, um, handling stuff. Yeah, so no, you can't hit them up for the homie discount. Yeah. Now I'd be like, no, you can buy it online like everybody else. Because yeah. <laughs> because we can't even get the homie discount. Yeah, right, right, right. We, gotta, we hit them up and we want stuff shipped to us. Right. Yeah. Um, but before that, it was just the, the hustle and bustle of, okay, now we got to go pick up the shirts from this one. We got to pick up the hats from this one. We got to do this. It was all of that coordination mm -hmm. going on. Um, it was really frustrating when we were getting recognized more and other companies wanted to work with us and maybe send us somewhere. We could only be gone for a certain amount of time because we were our shipping facility. Right. Well, you were everything. Yeah, yeah. We you were, were every part of the process. We were one-stop shop. So, like, my it was a sweatshop. Was, yeah, it, <laughs> it was Black and Brown headquarters. So, like, you know, we got boxes of shirts and hats just sitting there in my basement. And I got a key to my house. So, if I'm not there, he can go fulfill orders. Uh, you know, just trying to get that stuff out. And it's just like, you know, some mornings, we got, like, 50, 60 orders in there. Yeah. like doing this today you know or you racing trying to get stuff down there before the uh post office closing mm -hmm. day because somebody you know want need their shirt before they go on their trip and you trying to you know we're still a small business you know so we're trying to make everybody happy we want all of those experiences to become new experiences when they tell other people right or what us. or what about the part where you sh we ship the stuff off and you know the time we the time frame they were supposed to, and then the post office just just cut up, cut up. Like yeah. you, they, you seen it, you were able to track it one minute, and then it's just yeah, non-trackable. It, it don't show up. It, it never shows up. Stole somebody's yeah. stuff off the porch, and then it's like you know these people are not lying. 
I mean, yeah. I, I think our stuff is hot, but it ain't that hot where they like, you know what, I'm about to tell them <laughs> right. so we can get another jump. Right. I heard <laughs> I heard that black and the brug order coming in three o'clock. Right. Right. Get that off the truck. Right. Right. Get that off the truck. All right, how was one like, who jacking our stuff off? Somebody, yeah. hey, I don't know. But, um, you know, the post office be cutting up. Yeah, they be, they be cutting up. And you don't realize it as like a day-to-day person. You put, you know, a bill in the mail or you send in a letter to somebody. But when you're shipping out 40 and 50 things a day, you realize, you know what, the post office could do a little bit better right. on stuff. Uh, and then a lot of times you end up eating that cost. Right. Because they're like, oh, it's just gone. We don't yeah. know where it's at. In the ether. Yeah. USPS, you've done it to me. You've done it to these brothers here. Get it together, Let's man. get it together, y'all. <laughs> Get it together. So what I know, obviously, the platform started um, with the merchandise, but now it's sort of morphed into a bigger thing. It's it's a movement, basically. So what what do you want people to take away from Black and Abroad when they purchase a shirt? Or now you guys are doing trips. Yeah. What's well? Let's talk about that before we even go go to the takeaway. So what? Tell us more about the Black and Abroad experience. So they call it Black and Abroad journeys, mm-hmm. and the journeys are our way of number one contributing uh, to the communities that in the places of, in the world that have given us wonderful experiences we feel one of the ways to give back is to bring people to them mm-hmm. um, to enjoy it and you know when they of course when they spend money there they're investing into the the local community um, so that was something that we one of the one of the promises that we made in the beginning because some of these places would bring us there and you know for no for free mm-hmm. fly us out there and let us do destination guides and things like that um and get a lay of the land so that we can bring people there so it's like that's one of the promises that that we want to fulfill with that and also to encourage our people our followers to venture out to places that they might not have considered before right you know we got a trip coming up our, our first black and broad tri- journeys trip is in um on new year's uh, to Johannesburg, but we have um, a lay of the land type trip that we have coming up next month where we're going to Stockholm and then we're going to also, you know, nice. so we're like kind of getting the lay of the land there because we may end up doing experiences there. Right, right, right. So it's like just kind of get, you know, making things um, two sided for both parties involved. Right. Yeah, the, the journeys and then. With this Johannesburg trip, it's really been like two years in the making um, for us. We've been going over like, if not once each year, at least twice each year over the last couple of years to really figure out what would be the best Johannesburg experience. Mm-hmm. So for this trip, it's really a mix of the people we found and the experiences we found on our own trips and when the tourism boards brought us out there and combining the two so you don't get this full-on like by the numbers tourist right. experience you right. get experiences with local entrepreneurs who are your age doing really dope things uh in johannesburg and johannesburg is good for that too they yeah. definitely have like this energy of a young creative city yeah it's, um, it's going through like this renaissance right yeah now. absolutely yeah. um yeah you know bringing that kind of spark to our trip and then having a moment that no other trip is having where we're there doing Afropunk, you know, and that being like the the top point or peak of our trip is that, you know, we're doing all these dope things. And then on top of that, you get to go to the first Afropunk 
in the most Afrocentric place in the world, right. you know, in in, uh, in the continent of Africa. It's the first time ever having an Afropunk in the continent of Africa. Uh, so to be there for you know that experience That's, that is that is quite a way to bring in your New Year, man. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> what? Where else uh, would you want to be on New Year's? But right. around a whole bunch of happy black folks right. in the epicenter of blackness. Right, right. Uh, you know, having a good time, experiencing other people. One of the things we wanted to bring into this trip too was kind of this throwback to pre-social media and pre-Facebook where you met when you met people for the first time it was when you actually physically met them for the first time right. uh, and so the travelers don't know who the other 14 are on their trip until mm -hmm. that day because right. we don't want to say oh this is who you're traveling with and then they go on Instagram looking for the person on Facebook right. they already know everything <laughs> about this person before they get there uh -huh. we wanted to have that experience again um, and give people that opportunity to really grow as a group Right. During that week when they were with us and, um, you know, over the last couple of years, everybody's always like, well, when can we travel with you guys? And here's the opportunity. Dope, man. So, Black and Abroad Journeys. Is there still room for Johannesburg or is that trip closed? Johannesburg is... Die. So you missed you missed your opportunity yes. for New Year's for, for New, New Year's, Year's, but there are more trips on the horizon. So be on the lookout. This episode of Soul Society One on One, the podcast, is brought to you by Visit Philadelphia. With miles of murals and museums, Philadelphia is a work of art. Plan your trip today to celebrate your favorite artists and discover some new ones. Head to visitphilly.com/slash/we-got-you. All right. So for this first segment, we're gonna do a piece that's called "If You Were Stranded on a Deserted Island." And you could only bring one. So who's gonna go first? Kent, Eric, who gonna kick it off? Uh, I don't matter. I'll go first. All right, Kent's gonna go first. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and could only bring one album, what would it be? It would be Jay Z's Blueprint. Good one. Why is that? Uh, I think that album has enough of all different types of styles where I would never get bored with it. It's a classic. That's a that's a good that's a good one. One TV show. Mine. <laughs> classic again. Yeah. One last meal. One last meal. Whew. Uh it would either be lasagna or something that had plantains in it. <laughs> <laughs> um one thing to remind you of home. One thing that will remind me of home. It would be well, wait a minute. Which home? Like my home that Whatever, now, whatever, like, whatever home means to you. Hmm. Uh, the one thing that reminds me of home would be, it would be my mother's, this is it's so random. Uh, my mother has this reindeer that she has had. Like a live reindeer? No, no. This <laughs> is reindeer that she bought from like Montgomery Wards for old people okay. like back in the day. But she's had it since I was a kid. And no matter where we've been in the world, at Christmas time, that reindeer is always on display. Oh, so I would that, take that reindeer. That is random, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's so it. random. Yeah, but yeah. That that's the one thing. And what's one book that you would bring? The one book that I would bring would be a blank book because I would need a lot to write about. Mm -hmm. I need something to do while I was there. Yeah. So if I was writing it, I could create all kinds of random stories. It's a good answer. Good answer. Alright, Eric, you up next. I'm up next. You're on you know you're gonna be stranded on a deserted island. What is one album you would bring? 
Oh, uh, I'm gonna have to say the score. Oh. Fuji's. Okay. I can listen to that over and over and hit over yours, again. That is a, like that is three, I can't argue, 365 days a year. I can't argue with either one of those choices. Yeah. One TV show. One TV show. Kent took my Martin. Martin. So now I'm gonna that's have all to, right. You could. You, now, now I'm gonna have to Martin say, is a, is an OD classic. Yeah. I mean that's a great answer. No, but you know it's it's all good. Um, there's this TV show on National Geographic, mm-hmm. the animals. What is that? Were they like pro? Like I, I don't know the name of it, but they literally go around and follow like the Animal Kingdom. Oh, I could it. watch that. I think it might be called Animal Kingdom. Oh, that <laughs> might be. It. I could Listen, watch. I could watch that all day long. You could watch that all day long, but you're on this deserted island, so you might see all right. those animals. <laughs> right, you, you might have live action Animal Kingdom. I'd rather watch it on TV. I hate you. Um, one last meal. One last meal. Um. Cause Man. after this meal, you gotta fend for yourself and figure right. out. Right, but see, I'm I, I love seafood, so I would okay. I would fit in right there perfectly. Okay. But one last meal would be uh, maybe my mom's husband. Not my he's not he my I guess my stepdad. He makes the best fried turkey mm. on Thanksgiving. And my mom used to cook, but then when she when she married him, she just stopped cooking because she can't compete with that turkey. <laughs> like his turkey, he deep fries it. And like they'll put some secret sauce, injects it with something the day before. <laughs> I got it that one whole turkey to myself. <laughs> Fried turkey. I dig it. Yeah. One thing that reminds you of home. Uh one thing that reminds me of home is this picture of this black Jesus that my mom used to have in the bathroom. <laughs> Like we never grew up thinking that Jesus was was white. As we, you we, shouldn't, because yeah, he wasn't. Right. <laughs> yeah, he she she has this big picture of black Jesus right over top of the toilet in the bathroom, and she carries that wherever wherever she moves to. That picture goes with her. So nice. Yeah. And one book. One book. Um, man, that's a good one. I like the Tennessee Coates book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, between between the, world the world and me. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, so at this point, we've all seen a lot of countries in the world. What, When did you first get the itch to start traveling internationally by yourself, or was that always a thing? Well, Kent might say it's always been a thing since, you know, he he had a little, he had a little lifestyle for himself in Berlin. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, you know what? I can't even say what I was going to say. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. I want you to say it, man. Because my first solo trip was the flight to Berlin as a kid. I okay. took that flight... Um, about to age myself. This was 1987. Uh, actually, my family drove up to New York uh, from Baltimore, and I got on a Pan Am flight by myself. Uh, Things like that could happen back in the day. Yeah, I, right. that doesn't happen that much anymore. I think you know, obviously, some terrorism and some yeah. other things have stopped that. But kids really used to travel by themselves a lot more back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it, now it's like you need a. a either accompany them or you got to pay the fee. I don't know if my mama paid the fee back then, but yeah, I took that long flight from New York to Berlin by myself and then met my dad over there. Um, Yeah, that was my first, I guess, official solo trip, but the one where I actually flew solo and then did the whole experience solo. Mm -hmm. uh, That was actually last year was my first like international solo trip. I've done trips all over the country solo, but I did... Uh, Hong Kong and Kuala Lumpur, and that is hands down one of my favorite trips. Nice. Yeah. What about you? Uh, mine was like, I think it was 2011, and I had a friend that lived in Qatar at the time. Okay. So, she worked like 12 hours a day, 
So I would consider that a solo trip because <laughs> literally during the day I had to go out and fend for myself yeah. and uh, figure <laughs> she out. She came where in to from go work and was like, "All right, good night." Hope right. Yeah, it was like it was like one of those ridiculous government contracting jobs yeah. where they like literally work you crazy. Um, but I did have a place to to stay, like a home base, while I was there, and then I ended up going to Dubai, which was, you know, this was before the the deal thing happened. Yeah, but it was it was a good trip, and that it really helped me to. Learn a lot about myself and just how to navigate in unfamiliar environments. So yeah, I would advocate for anybody to try it at least once. Yeah, I forgot uh, you were Dubai pre um, yeah. explosion. Yeah, and I was That's rare. You yeah, know what it was like, because I was like the only one of the only black people on the beach at the time, mm-hmm. and I was like, well. I'm here. Now folks you know? having family reunions in Dubai. <laughs> right. Yo, I mean, it, it really is it's like that now. Outside of Atlanta, have you have either you been anywhere that kind of feels like home? Outside of Atlanta and obviously your hometowns, is there anywhere else around the world or even in the U.S. that you could, you feel like, you know what, I could potentially set up here and feel like I'm home? I got two answers to that. Okay. Uh, this place felt like home. I don't know if I would set up shop there, but it definitely had that warmth. The mm. home, uh, and it was Savannah for me. Like I felt like I was around my uncles and my cousins and my little sisters wow. uh, while I was there, and it was just definitely a, a family vibe. And I think part of that was because we stayed with a family uh, while we were there, and the the guy, the the head of the family, felt very much like my uncle. Like he was close aside, like yo, this is where y'all go. <laughs> to to get this, they're gonna right. try to do this to you. Like y'all trying to go here, I got this. You need to hook up on cigars. I got you. This is where the cheapest mojitos are. Like, right. Um, and he talked to us like we were very much his kin. Right. Um, See, so yeah, Havana felt very much. It felt very familiar to me, even though it also felt like a completely different place at the same time. Mm. Um, where I feel like I could set up shop, Joe Bird, maybe. Um, it's, it's got enough going on to where I feel like that would be it. I keep hearing that uh, Accra is also another place that feels like I have that. heard that, yeah. yeah uh, I haven't been there long enough to, to know. I've always had layovers there. Um, I've never had a full-blown trip there just yet, but everyone who goes has an amazing experience. Yeah, same, yeah. same. What about you, Eris? I mean, I'd say um, out of all the places that I've been, Anywhere that I go where it's black people, <laughs> the, the majority of the population, right. they always, I don't know if it's because, you know, where we're coming from, but I'm, I'm going to be like Issa Rae and say every, every, everywhere black. <laughs> I'm rooting for everywhere, everywhere black. I'm rooting for everywhere black. <laughs> First of all, we need a sidebar on the Issa Rae comment. I'm, I'm obsessed with Issa Rae. I've met her a few times. Yeah. That comment, I was like, yo, I don't know if I could love you more than I love you in this moment. See, that's peak love right there. Yo. Like, that... Because really. she didn't say it to a black media outlet. No, I don't know if people all. realize that. She that said it to Variety, yeah. who's like cream of the crop in terms of entertainment media. And then double down on it. Like, yep. Yep. Everybody yep. That's <laughs> but that's it's the truth. That's what I, I mean. I don't know about you guys, but like, that's really what we're thinking when we watch any kind of like uh, absolutely family feud family feud absolutely. if it's a black family, family it's a white you root for that black and family there's two black families everybody yeah. wins right. <laughs> everybody look yeah. y'all win for being on the show and then the other jeopardy jeopardy if it's a black contestant on there you're like come on black brother let's, let's get it you know exactly that's really the sentiment it's been that way she, she just she just said it, said it yeah um absolutely and i think 
And I think that's what makes you like culturally relevant. When you, as a celebrity, when you can speak on behalf of what everybody's thinking and has everybody at home slow clapping for you like, yes, this right. is exactly right. what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was it was a moment for all of us. Issa Rae, thank you on behalf of all the blacks that you're rooting for. Thanks, We Ace. appreciate you, We were rooting for you, too. <laughs> were y'all right. team, team Issa, team Lawrence, and Insecure, or kind of neutral? I was definitely team Lawrence. Uh-huh. All the, way, all the way to the end of season two? Yes. Okay. And I'm probably going to catch a lot of heat for that. <laughs> Kent didn't say that. Eric did. Um, because I, like, I, think he, I think he was a good guy. He... He trusted the process. When he came to his business, even though it didn't do quite what he thought it would, mm-hmm. he, it, it did put him in a situation where he was like now working and making more money. And, um, you know, I don't think that that would, should, should have given her a pass to like go out and cheat on him. But he was, trifling, he was trifling what he did on her birth, for what he did on her birthday. Yes. But that, that still one, doesn't give you license to that doesn't give you license. do what she did. Yeah. Um, so you don't agree with Tasha? We should call him a, a fuckboy who thinks he's a good dude. You don't yeah. think he's that? No, I think he just, he still loved the girl. He still yeah. loved Issa. Yeah. And it's kind of like hard to commit to somebody else when you still got feelings for it. And she was also like forcing him into this yeah, like, relationship was, that he she, never said he wanted to be in. They she both was straight knew what jack- it was, but he wasn't acting like what it was. No, I think she thought it was more than what it was. No, she even said, like, I knew what it was. And she, I mean, he knew what it was too, but he kept playing it like it's something serious. And I think that's... Because that's what, I think that's because that's what he's been conditioned to for so long. Mm -hmm. He's been in a relationship for so long. He's been in a relationship, guys. So he can't be a player type and just go hit and quit like like his boy, what's his name? The one, Chad. Um, Chad. Yeah, yeah, Chad. Chad, Chad. There was Chad some, is the homie. There were some people that were Team Chad, too. I'm Team Chad. I'm Team <laughs> Kelly and Team Chad. But wait, doesn't Chad have a fiancé yeah, that we never does. met? Yeah. He mentioned it in the last yeah, episode. Chad I did not know Chad. Was, he always references yeah. his fiancé and we've never seen yeah. it. Uh-huh. Um, Interesting. But I think Issa and Lawrence are both terrible people. But <laughs> no, so in the sense that... They're terrible people, but we've all been that terrible person. Absolutely. Like, we've all been Lawrence when he dipped out of that uh, cookout and went somewhere else and didn't come back. We've all, I was like, I've, I've been that. <laughs> like, we've all been that Issa uh, when, you know, she stepped out and did some dirt. Like, we've all yeah. felt each part of what they've done. So, I think people get real tied to the characters because... It's either things that have been done to them or things that they've well, done to Well, you've been that person, yeah. yeah. I, and, and I think I'm a combination of so many characters on that show. I won't say which characters. Yeah. But right. I'm a combination of a few. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a combination of a few a few of those people. Um, man, Insecure, man. I can't wait for season three. Yeah. Right. And I'm then, like, what they going to come with? That finale, though? I was cool. like, well, wow. I, I think I kind of got my theories about where they going to come in at. I... Cause you know, you know the Tiffany. I knew, I knew the Tiffany you thing know. off the bat. Well, I then didn't I, know. I read the... think pieces after, but I was like, yeah. I knew something was funny. Because <laughs> yeah. they kept forcing this like perfection mm-hmm. of she, their relationship. Yeah, she definitely didn't show up to watch. What was that? Do North. Do North. Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, okay, so maybe she's either not feeling well, so she stayed home. But then I saw that that the the boyfriend was like, or her husband was like, nah. She's with the girls. and Yeah, but there's all these other things. Like, Tiffany also um, 
that what Derek is is her husband. Derek, yeah. that's his name. Derek had yeah. also mentioned that there was a guy at her job and Fred. he had to squash Fred. that. Fred, yeah. Wow, everyone in the room knows Fred. Everybody, <laughs> it was like knows Fred. 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 <laughs> you know, Fred, or you've been a friend. We right. all we all been a work husband before. Right, so we know what that is. And right. that 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 was left in a very gray area. Like, oh, I handled that. Right. So that you know, there's something funny there. There's a, there's a few things that well, are set. I up just hope she don't come back story. with no mess. Being as though she's pregnant right now, so no, I, I tell you, what was the, the the eyebrow raising moment for me was when Tiffany called and Kelly got up and walked out because mm. her and Kelly are supposed to be closer yeah. than the other two. Yeah. So Kelly knows Kelly got the scoop. What's yeah. going on? Because remember, Kelly also knew that she was pregnant first. Yep. Right. So if if we all cool and you just talk, calling me to talk about the show, why can't we just talk about? Why can't we talk? Home, we, get, we can talk about Regina Hall right here. Right. right. <laughs> but no. Right. Kelly, get up and go into the kitchen because mm-hmm. yeah. she got to get the scoop on what just went down with Fred. Shady. Shady. <laughs> what I do love about the show, though, is most black shows show the, the guy is the bad person, the ultimate bad person. The guy is the one who cheated. The guy is the one who started all the drama in the relationship. Right. And in real life, many times it's a woman. So I, that's, and, yeah. and even obviously with Issa, but even in this setup of Tiffany potentially as we're all piecing together, might not have been faithful in that relationship. Right. Um, it's real. And again, it's something that reflects reflects our everyday that you don't see for whatever reason right. on TV. And, and I think that's why it's hitting everybody like, thank you, this is what I'm yeah. talking about. And I think the Tiffany storyline opens up the married people getting shots fired at. Because for now, the first two seasons has been very much about being you know, 30-something, single, or in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, but not, like, the sanctity of marriage or black marriage mm-hmm. having that kind of lens put on it. Yeah. So, you know, y'all married folk, be ready. <laughs> y'all may have to, to watch shine, it on separate, right, <laughs> and separate times. Just prepare each other for, for that, because, you know, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. So if that gets open up to, like, young black marriage, and, I mean, we've seen a little bit of it with, like, the idea of an open marriage. Yeah. Uh, but you know, And do y'all really think that he's in an open marriage? That's another question mark from the show. <laughs> Is he really? or Because we never heard confirmation from his wife. Right. I was about to say, if they were, if she knew what was going on, what, well, let's just, so you said open marriage. I don't think they're in an open marriage. Um, and then on top of that, if she knew what was going on, then she they wouldn't have to hide out and, you know, hide away and go, um, get it off in the bathroom where right. everybody else at the table. You right. know, that wouldn't have to happen. I, I think open and then disrespectful marriage is two different things. Mm. So you can be open, but don't have your dirt in my face. But I think, and see, I know people who have had open marriage situations, and a lot of times one of the people is just going along with the other per- person's want for an open marriage right. just because they love that person right. so much. They want to make it seem like it's cool, right. but it ain't really they, that cool. Yeah, it's an open marriage, but I'm never going to exercise that openness mm. you know because i just want you to be happy and i want to be with you like i know i know that situation and i've seen that play out so it could be one of those where it's like yeah it's open but i'm never going you know walk through that open door listen i i would never sign up for an open marriage because that would not work for the kid i'm telling you yeah, now yeah. ain't no I, way ain't no way it's too much stuff going around right now <laughs> to even think about something like that oh man real talk well, we well got not, to, not to offend the people who do it. <laughs> That's just because you never, you know. You know it, but it takes a strong heart, yeah, uh, to be able to handle what could happen. Absolutely, yeah. it's not even what happens; it's what could happen. Yeah, because a lot of times I would assume in old marriages, it's more about the thought 
of what the other person is doing yeah. versus what they actually ended up doing. Exactly. And you know that, what was it, Marion Winans, I Don't Want to Know, that song? Yeah. I was never, I was like, I don't bangs with you. I want to know. I want to yeah. know everything. And so that, that, exactly, and that open relationship, open marriage format wouldn't work for me because I'm definitely like a very upfront, honest person. I want to know all that shit. Even if it's going to hurt me, I want to know it so that we can like move forward. We got on a tangent with Insecure. Insecure got us all over here thinking about exes and currents and all that. So we're we going to take it back. The last segment of the show, Rapid Fire. Y'all ready? Ready. ready. All right, Rapid Fire, we are going to start with Eric. Only give me the short answer, no explanation, okay. unless I ask for it. Okay. All right, first question. How do you like your steak? Medium well. 90s or 2000s music? 2000s. Favorite color? Black. What's your zodiac sign? Capricorn. Favorite basketball team? Well, it used to be the Bullets, now the Wizards. Okay. And what's the most life-changing trip you've ever been on? Johannesburg. All right. Kent, you up next. Rapid fire, brother. How you like your steak? Medium well. 90s or 2000s music? 90s all the way. Favorite color? Gray. Never heard gray before. Interesting. <laughs> what's your zodiac sign? Virgo. Favorite basketball team? The Lakers. The most life-changing trip you've ever been on? Pick one. Uh, Tom Shaker. Havana, Havana, Havana. Because <laughs> I right. took yours. No, no, no. I was debating on Berlin or right. Havana, but uh, Havana. Man, this has, been, this has been a good time, guys. It was. Yeah. It definitely was. Season two of Soul Society 101, the podcast. We are here with the fellas from Black and Abroad. Down in the ATL, Kent, Eric, appreciate having you guys on the, on the show, man. It's been it's been fun. I hope you learned a little bit from these guys, learned a little bit about them. Um, I'm sure you've seen the shirts and hats and all the merchandise, and you're gonna go on one of their future trips. Um, but the whole goal of the show is for people to kind of get a feel of who you guys are, and I think they they got a little bit of that from y'all. I, I personally know a lot more about them from this episode. So. <laughs> Um, anything you want to leave the people with? Anything coming up with Black and Abroad? Yeah, well, I mean, along with along with the merchandise and the trips, we also have content on our website. So if you are one of those people who are curious about a destination or has never been abroad before, you can hit up our website just to get a perspective from some of our people, some of our ambassadors who actually have. And then every now and then we come in and we contribute as well. So that's something that... Um, We'd like you guys to know. Yeah, we definitely have some secrets uh, coming up that you know we want to do a Beyonce drop on you <laughs> at, mid at midnight. Right. So follow, it, follow the Instagram, follow Black right. and Bro because I'm sure it's gonna drop there first. Yes. Um, appreciate y'all, yeah. man. Soul Society One One, the podcast. We out. We out. Peace.